0: To claim your special offer, come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Hold up.
2: Just as an investor studies a stock before they dive into it, I also urge them to study the index and the ETF before they dive into it. There are some fantastic ETFs available to investors that allow them to adopt a core satellite strategy, to use them in a strategic manner or to use them in a more tactical way. So I'm not dissuading them in in any way. I just encourage investors to really do their homework. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello.
3: What's an index? You've most probably heard of the S&P ASX 200, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. How are they created and what do they mean for market prices, ETFs and investing in general? I've decided to find out and go into depth a little bit by asking along today's guest, Simon Caraban. G'day, Simon. Hi, Phil. How are you? Good, good. Simon is a Senior Vice President at Singapore Exchange, which is like the Singapore Stock Exchange, where he leads their indexing business. And before that, he was at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Let's have a look at your time managing the indices at S&P for the S&P ASX series. So this is basically all of these indexes that we see every day, and especially on the nightly news um, that's showing how the market has performed on that particular day.
2: Yeah, that's right. So, Phil, I was uh, was working there for for Standard & Poor's in in the Australian uh, office, I think it was in in 2005. And as you are aware, the S&P and ASX have a very firm indexing partnership. And S&P is uh, the index administrator for the broader suite of indices there. So, that is the S&P ASX 200, the All Ordinaries Index, the S&P ASX 20, the S&P ASX 50 as well as all the underlying uh, sectors that are linked to these indices. So my role at the time was really to ensure that the number that you see on the news every day is accurately reflected in terms of what has been transpiring in the market on any given day.
3: Simon, that's what what we see every night on the news, isn't it? There's a, a single number. Every news bulletin just will say, okay, this is what the market did today. That's the number that you're making sure is absolutely correct. Exactly.
2: So it, it's a very simple numerical representation of the aggregate performance of the stock market. While it is a very simple representation in, in numerical format, you know, such as I think it's today, it's about 6,800 or so, there's a lot of work that actually goes into ensuring that that number is accurate. And is an accurate reflection of the aggregate performance of the stock market.
3: So, in the time that you were working there, how did things change
2: with the greater take-up of ETFs? They changed tremendously. So, when I started there, it was a fairly standard suite of indices that were offering to to the marketplace. As ETF adoption grew in the Australian market and as uh, investors started allocating more funds towards ETFs, uh, we found that there was a a greater demand for new indices that would allow investors to get exposure to different uh, segments of the marketplace. So beyond the the S&P A6200, for example, there is the development of, of indices such as high yield indices or high dividend yield indices that allowed ETF issuers to then create an ETF that tracked the performance of the underlying index that was comprised of high dividend paying stocks in in the Australian market. There are also several other examples where indices were developed to give you exposure to different sectors as well as themes which allowed, again, ETFs and um, the the investors allocating towards ETFs to get exposure to different segments of the market, not just in Australia, but but globally as well.
3: So an ETF really can't exist
2: without an index? No, that's right. So an an ETF ultimately tracks the underlying performance of the index. There are a few ETFs, uh, mind you, that uh, do provide exposure to non-index-based investments. So there is the rise of, of active ETFs, for example, but for the large part or a vast majority of ETFs in, in the Australian market are linked to underlying indices.
3: There's a whole bunch of subsectors as well that a lot of people don't really know about, but um, there's also... Indexes or indices, let's (laughs) we'll we'll call them indices for now, regarding each particular sector. Like there's a technology index and a um, an industrials and a materials, and this is all part of
2: um, a business that needs to be managed as well, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So uh, one of the important aspects of uh, managing the index, or at least accurately reflecting the nature of the market, is to ensure that we appropriately classify the stocks within the market because. Each stock, in terms of its classification, be it financials or or resources, experiences uh, a different response to, to macroeconomic variables. So... In the current macroeconomic environment, for example, you know, resources are, are performing in a very different fashion to, to financials, and, and this is extremely valuable information that needs to be managed accordingly within an index, and therefore, this information can be harnessed by investors you know, so that they can make more informed investment decisions and uh, they truly understand uh, the underlying drivers of the uh, stock market from, from a sector perspective.
3: Yeah, because um, on any particular day, the market's going to go up or down. But you can drill right down into it and actually see, oh, it's only this particular sector of the market that's um, that's performing
2: and uh, not another one. Yes, that's absolutely right. And uh, in fact, if you look at the composition of the the Australian stock market, you'll see that it's heavily comprised of banks and and resources stocks. Um, so the the index itself is, is weighted by free float market capitalization. So what that means is that there is a higher allocation given to, to the larger stocks and uh, the larger, larger stocks, stocks within, within the Australian, Australian market are, are obviously your, your metals and mining stocks as well as financials. So on any given day, uh, you can be pretty certain that the drivers of, of the underlying performance of the Australian stock market are, are driven by either the banks or, or the resources stocks. And um, I heard the figure the other
3: day. I think it was like in the the S and P ASX two hundred is seventy percent the top twenty companies. Would that be an accurate kind of figure?
2: Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Um, back in my day, when when I was working uh, in in the Australian market, I, I think it was the uh, S and P ASX fifty that comprised about seventy percent of the market. But it may well be uh, a lot more top heavy these days. I haven't looked at the latest statistics, but. All being said, uh, and without drilling into the the numbers uh, too much, it is a very top-heavy market. So the top stocks within uh, the ASX 200 really do dominate. This is not entirely unique, but it is much more heavily concentrated when you compare it to the S&P 500, uh, which does not suffer from such concentration levels. And what this concentration means is that uh, the, the Australian market, all else being equal, is perhaps a bit more of a a riskier proposition because of these concentration levels. It's not as well diversified relative to, say, the S&P 500.
3: And the S&P 500 really correlates a lot more with the NASDAQ these days because of the weight of those big technology companies within that um, index as
2: well. Yeah, so the the nature of the S&P 500 has changed a hell of a lot. It's no longer comprised of the old economy in, in industrial stocks because of the shift towards uh, technology and, and growth stocks in recent years. So how often are um, indices created? I mean, what sort of rate do they come onto the market and for what reason? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, indices are, you know, are very much like any other product that's that's available in the market. It goes through a continuous series of, of innovation. Yeah. And uh you know, across all of the index providers globally, you could probably say that there's an index launched every day. <laughs> so, you know, the indexing industry has evolved and changed tremendously, mainly as, as a result of the fact that they are now linked to, to financial instruments and uh, indices are truly investable in the form of ETFs as well as index funds. And when you couple the fact that there has been a rise in, in product issuance linked to indices with the fact that there is a greater abundance of data available in the marketplace, an abundance of data that is of reasonable quality that then allows us to create rules-based indices in a far more sophisticated manner than um, what was done previously. What was the latest index that you created? Uh, The latest index that uh, we created here at uh, SGX, I believe it was a thematic index linked to the theme of, of global internet So it's comprised of companies that uh, derive a lot of their revenue from internet technologies. And, you know, the usual names would pop up in such an index, such as Google, Facebook, Alibaba, so on and so forth. So it's an index, as as you can imagine, that has uh, performed tremendously well over the course of the last uh, five to 10 years. As I mentioned before, there has been a significant shift towards technology stocks and growth stocks in general. So that was the the latest index that we created that was linked to an ETF that is actually listed on uh, Hong Kong Exchange, funnily enough. Uh, But we are constantly going through a process whereby we are researching and developing new indices in-house with the view to have them linked to to financial products and listed on, on SGX preferably. And that's a Singapore stock exchange,
3: isn't it? Correct. Yes, that's right. Let's delve a little bit deeper into the relationship between ETF providers and indexing businesses.
2: Yeah, sure. So, as I mentioned before, uh, indices themselves are rules-based and governed by a set of rules. Therefore, they are very transparent in nature. They do have oversight by uh, a governance committee. Therefore, we ensure that uh, the indices are produced in a very harmonious fashion which lends themselves to be underlyings for financial products. So what I mean by underlyings for financial products is that an ETF issuer, such as a State Street or a BlackRock or a Eck in Australia, for example, will actually mimic the movements of the underlying index by allocating weights to the stocks according to the weights as they're determined by the index themselves. So If, for example, you you have an ETF issuer in the Australian market that's tracking the ASX 200, they'll mimic the movements of the ASX 200 by allocating funds that are directly proportional to the weights that are in the index. And then there is obviously the commercial relationship between the index administrator or the index provider as well as the ETF issuer. And that commercial relationship is really through an index licensing arrangement where an index provider will charge an index licensing fee to the ETF issuer for the right to use that index as an underlying for the ETF. In your experience, is there some
3: indices better than others for providing a basis to an ETF?
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had a bit of a chat previously about this, didn't we? But I wasn't sure how far you wanted to go into it live on air, but please, unleash.
2: Absolutely. Like any products that are available to consumers in the market, some are just better than others, right? So if you look at television sets, some are just made better than others. And uh, some of the producers of television sets are actually invest a, a lot more time and energy into ensuring that the quality is there. What should
3: consumers be looking out for in this space?
2: Yeah, one of the, the biggest concerns around indices, once we go beyond just broad market indices, such as the s and 200 and go into more niche or esoteric areas, such as thematic indexing or even factor or smart beta indexing, investors really need to look past the label of the index and truly understand the underlying components of the index. So with the rise of thematic indexing and thematic investing, now, investors are now piling into uh, different types of ETFs, for example, such as uh, robotics ETFs, biotechnology ETFs. You know, I alluded to the example before of internet technologies. Once you start going down this path, you have to ensure that the index provider is, is actually offering an accurate representation of that theme. Right. So one of the classic examples that I like to reference is the blockchain ETF or blockchain index. And investors have flocked to to this index in the form of ETFs primarily because of the label. So they see you know blockchain technologies as an emerging technology that will continue to grow and continue to be part of our lives. But the fact of the matter is that there are very few underlying stocks that specialize in this technology. And what you're finding is that it's, it's really the existing technology companies that are dabbling in, in blockchain. And, you know, they, they really are just dabbling. I mean, they're not generating a meaningful amount of their revenue from this technology. So you might see a blockchain ETF or a blockchain index that's comprised of companies like Microsoft, or NASDAQ, or comprised of companies like Google and Facebook. Because, yes, you know, in their annual report, or somewhere along the lines, they've described the fact that they are investing into blockchain technology. But in reality, the risk and return profile of their stock prices is is not driven by the fact that, you know, they're they're spending a, a little bit more time, energy and effort into this area. So, Investors have to be very careful once they start dabbling into, you know, themes or or smart beta indices. Um, Another example is, you know, the concept of what's known as a a quality index. So, these are available in the Australian market as well as in our market here at SGX. And what a quality index really aims to do is to choose companies with very sound fundamentals as well as, uh, good rates of profitability. What investors need to be wary of is, okay, which financial metrics is the index provider using to, to find a representation of a quality company? and oftentimes you'll find that they're using financial ratios and metrics that you know are significantly stale and you know, beyond the fact that the metrics can be stale, they're also not using the right proxies to be able to address profitability as, as a factor. so there are, are a lot of issues in terms of the amount of rigor or the amount of uh, time and energy that's invested into developing uh, such indices to ensure that they're truly representative of the objective or, or the label that they attach to such indices. Hold
1: up.
3: So how can a, a consumer that doesn't really have much understanding of finance and financial markets, are there any signals or any warning signs that you could um, could give us?
2: Yeah, look, um, yeah. some of the warning signs, I guess, you know, sensationalism is, is a problem.
0: <laughs>
1: so
2: <laughs> when you see an, an ETF issuer that has linked an ETF to an underlying index that promises significant returns and, you know, promises, you know, exposure to the most innovative companies in the world. You know, you have to play uh, the role of of devil's advocate. And like I said, you really have to try and dig under the hood at that point to truly understand what makes this ETF or, or index so special. If you look at the the US market, for example, I mean, you just lose count of the number of ETF issuers in that market and, and the nature and the style of, of ETFs that are being issued through different types of indices. So, you know, it's, it's something that investors need to study. Just as an investor studies a stock before they, you know, dive into it, I also urge them to study the index and the ETF before they dive into it. There are some fantastic ETFs available to investors that allow them to adopt a a core satellite strategy to use them in a strategic manner or to use them in a more tactical way. So I'm not dissuading them in in any way. I just encourage investors to really do their homework before they dive into any investment, uh, be it an ETF or a single stock.
3: And um, that's the other thing as well, is that um, some of these ETFs, are incredibly sophisticated. I think we've got synthetics ETFs, we've got reverse ETFs, and uh, again, these are things that you've just got to really be wary about as a new investor.
2: Yes, there are many different types of ETFs. I mean, synthetics, inverse and leveraged ETFs, you've got uh, ETFs that are 100% cash replicated. ETFs aren't just limited to, to equities exposure. You've got fixed income ETFs as well as ETFs that offer uh, exposure to commodities. And, you know, this is fantastic because ultimately investors now have liquid and transparent access to multiple different types of underlyings and and multiple different types of of asset classes and and strategies, which was traditionally limited or just linked to very expensive uh, managed funds. So all of a sudden investors now have low cost access to very transparent vehicles that can give them the same exposure in, in a much more liquid format.
3: And it's it's really important, isn't it, for investors to be getting all sorts of different asset classes, not just buying equities. You know, you might want
2: commodities and like you refer to as well, fixed income. Yep, exactly right. So you can almost exclusively manage a multi-asset portfolio now through ETFs. It's not necessarily... The case that you need to rely upon managed funds to get your multi asset exposure. Now, you can do it exclusively through ETFs in, the, in a very low cost fashion. As I mentioned before, because they're liquid and traded on an exchange, you can actually use them a, a little bit more tactically than you could, say, uh, a managed fund. So if you have a majority of your exposure to the SP ASX 200, you might. Say to yourself, look, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about global robotics. You know, I think factories the world over are, are going to employ robotics even more so as the economy evolves. And you could say to yourself, look, I'm going to have a, a bit of a, an exposure to robotics. And the best way to do that is through a, a vehicle such as an ETF, which is linked to an index that uh, accurately reflects that segment rather than trying to find those one or two robotics companies globally that could give you the desired exposure.
3: Yeah, but that's also another interesting thing that not all robotics ETFs are robotics ETFs. Some of them aren't quite as exposed correctly as, I mean, a lot of them will be just investing in companies that actually use robotics rather than companies that are developing robotics.
2: Yeah, that, that can be the case, yeah. And um, again, this is the important point about uh, understanding the index behind the ETF. So robotics, there's obviously a, a vertical there in terms of the manufacturers that produce it and as well as the companies that leverage it. So you really have to truly understand the business vertical that the index is trying to address.
3: And one of the other great uses for an index as well is to benchmark your own portfolio. I mean, if your portfolio is not doing as well as you know a passive index, what good is it?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, it's that's a very good point. So indices are produced not just for the purposes of tracking in the form of an ETF, but they're also used for informational purposes, as well as benchmarking purposes, as you said. And it's not just a means for you to be able to assess the performance of your own stock portfolio, but it's also a means for you to assess how well your active manager is doing as well. So, there are an abundance of of managed funds available in the Australian market, which uh, are purchased by investors, be it through superannuation or or through just uh, general direct investing, that are tremendously expensive, And studies have shown that while you're giving money to the so-called experts, they tend to underperform the market on a fairly consistent basis. So S&P has a report known as, I think referred to as SPIVA. So it's Standard and Poor's Index versus Active. And I recall, it's true to this day, I'm sure, that I believe it's two-thirds of active managers in the Australian market failed to outperform the S&P ASX 200 index. And those that could outperform the S&P ASX 200 index over a given period of time were not able to persist or consistently outperform in, in future periods. So, there are massive question marks around active managers who who charge, you know, very exorbitant fees who either fail to beat the benchmark or if they do beat the benchmark, just uh, fail to do it on a consistent basis. So... The index does act as a very reliable barometer from which you can assess the performance not of your own portfolio, but also the performance of the active manager.
3: It's really contributed to the democratization of investing, isn't it, that um, we can invest in so many different avenues, so many different sectors, so many different um, asset allocations just through ETFs?
0: No,
2: that's exactly right. So uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Phil. I, I think uh, index investing or ETF investing has really democratized uh, investing for a lot of investors you know, globally, not just in the Australian market. So traditional uh, investments that were you know once only accessible by private banking clients are now uh, available to. just about every investor uh, in the marketplace. And, you know, they can access these investments in a very liquid and transparent format through an ETF, which means that... They can trade them any time as long as the uh, the market's open for them to be able to do so.
3: Now you're the kind of guy, most probably, that um, when you're at a barbecue or at some sort of family function, you're going to get asked the questions about investing and you know what should I be doing with my money and that sort of thing. <laughs> it happens to you all. Well, happens to all of us now, actually. Yeah. What's sort of the one piece of advice you give to people when they? Um, when they start to think about investing and what they should be doing with their money?
2: Yeah, so you're quite right. People ask me uh, what I should invest in and I just ultimately tell them, you know, Amazon 20 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, um, you know, one of the the keys to investing is is to ensure that you think about investing for the long term. You think about your investing time horizon and you appropriately invest according to that time horizon. So, you know, for those investors that are, say, in their 30s or in their 40s, you know, they've got a good 20, 25 years of, of their working life uh, ahead of them, they could be prepared to take a little bit more risk and uh, have greater exposure to to Australian equities or, or global equities, you know, without uh, you know allocating you know so defensively to fixed income. But really, you should be investing in relation to your risk appetite and your time horizon, and uh, you really should have a, a sound allocation across uh, multiple asset classes and ensure that you don't panic, uh, you don't overreact, ensure that you know as market moves that you keep your strategy intact. A lot of investors tend to suffer because they panic, they sell down before they should, when they panic uh, or when things go south, rather, um, they should think about dollar cost averaging and, and not just selling out. So I think uh, go into investing with a firm strategy that reflects your risk appetite and, and make sure that you stick to that strategy and make sure that uh, you have investing rules that, that you abide by that um, you do not you know, react emotionally to, for lack of a better word. So Yeah, manage those emotions. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So there are a lot of behavioral biases that emerge and uh, you know these behavioral biases take place as a result of uh, the emotions that investors experience. And uh, I think investors, perhaps more recently than, than ever before, have been investing based on, on emotion and this concept of fear of missing out. So there's a tremendous amount of of speculation in the market at the moment, and uh, you have a lot of investors chasing returns. Ultimately, uh, if you want to be able to sleep at night (laughs) and you want to be able to have a decent uh, amount of money for a time, you should certainly follow a, a. a very disciplined strategy from the outset.
3: And often those um, friends at barbecues, all they want to know is a tip anyway, don't they? And uh, that's not the way to invest. You just can't invest on tips.
2: No, no. Look, I mean, you know, everyone's going to have a tip. Everyone's going to have an inkling or or a hunch. But ultimately, uh, nobody really knows. Nobody (laughs) knows anything,
3: do they, (laughs) really, about markets?
2: (laughs) There's perhaps uh, a handful of investors that have figured out the market. And uh, I'm talking about a handful in amongst uh, billions of people in in this planet. So there are a a select few that have figured it all out and have uh, invested tremendous time, energy and effort into, you know, finding those golden nuggets. However, um, you know, for for us as average investors, we're better off following uh, a longer term disciplined approach to, to investing yeah okay Simon thank you very much for joining me today it's been a real pleasure speaking with you most welcome Phil it's been great and, and thank you again for having me on your show Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only it isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments
3: based on what you've heard here any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only not Shares for Beginners this podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs circumstances or current situation thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production with that special Greek delicious flavour remember Music always flows, even when the money won't.